Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelstein. I'm so happy you're with us. We're at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. What a day. There is a lot to keep track of. I'm so glad you guys are with us. We have a terrific show planned for you this evening. We got some really great talkers tonight. Kirsten Rowe Finkbeiner of Moms Rising is here to talk about, well, the insane popularity of paid family leave. Something that a lot of politicians talk about. Some say they're going to try to do. We never seem to get it. It's popular around the world. And it's one of those things that conservatives really like. Independents like more and liberals love. Why is something so popular that works, that would help our economy in so many ways, so hard to drag across the finish line? Don't want to miss that. And uh, our most important guest, as always, is you guys. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. I, I see Keith Price's name on our schedule. We'll see if Keith decides to join us tonight. Hopefully he will. In the meantime, we do want to hear from y'all. 866-997-4748. So, yeah, let's let's get right to it. Crazy day in news. I want to know how you're doing. What is keeping you up at night? What is getting you up in the morning? What is filling you with hope and optimism? And what is kind of making you feel a bit more fear than you feel comfortable admitting? We had a crazy day in the news. Um, we're going to get to everything, but it was denounced today that Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has been secretly undergoing treatment for prostate cancer. And it was the complications from that that led to his hospitalization on New Year's Day. Again, Joe Biden said he's not going to fire him. And uh, the people who made a big deal about that two days ago have kind of stopped by now. We're going to talk also about South Korea's parliament, which voted unanimously to end the production and sale of dog meat for human consumption. That practice has ancient roots in traditional Korean medicine. It's been wildly unpopular for decades, and it has been the basis for numerous very negative and unkind stereotypes. Terrible wind and storms and thunderstorms and tornadoes going through approximately 800 miles long, blasted through the south today, causing widespread damage, power outages, and some early closures. 
Next up, of course, New England and the I-95 corridor from D.C. to Boston. Chris, how are, how are y'all doing down there uh, below the Mason-Dixon line? Are you going to be okay in, uh, in the Confederate stronghold that you live in? Uh, we shall rise again, John. It was fine. It was weird. They closed every, all the schools were closed. All the government offices were closed. People stayed off the roads. Businesses were closed, uh, which I'd never seen for rain before, but it was a really intense line of storms and it spent all day building up to it. And then the whole thing passed by in like 20 minutes, 20 violent minutes. But yeah. Yeah. National Weather Service confirmed at least three tornadoes in the Florida panhandle. Uh, Wind gusts up to 106 miles per hour were recorded. Thunderstorm over southeastern Alabama and Georgia had winds recorded at speeds of 70 miles an hour. And it is in Georgia today. They had hail the size of baseballs, according to the Weather Service. Now the storm is moving towards the northeast and the rain's going to be falling well all over the snow, which means it's going to be nasty, but it's also going to be a much higher risk of flooding. And that's going to be widespread, especially especially among low-lying areas, creeks, and streams. Please, please be safe and check what the weather is going to be for your area. Okay, um, we have a lot to get to. We have a lot of guests tonight. We want to hear from you guys all night long. But let's talk about, well, it's not a good day for Donald Trump, is it? Specifically speaking, not a good day for uh, for, for one of his cases. Look, we, we're here to try to help be your friendly guide to what we're considering Lauren Boebert's last year in Congress. We have to have some laughs here. We have to remember to stop and smell the train wreck. So today, a federal appeals court was having oral arguments on Donald Trump's appeal. Uh, which case? Hmm? Which case? The, the campaign finance fraud with the porn star? No. The tax and real estate fraud he's already found guilty of? No. The classified documents he illegally took and lied about? No. Uh, the election fraud in Georgia case? No. The E. Jean Carroll sex abuse and defamation case he's already guilty in? No. Could this be the case of the Colorado Supreme Court that threw him off the ballot because he really did lead an insurrection? No. Uh, is this the pyramid scheme case? No. But points for even knowing that one? No. This is the big one, guys. This is the big Donald Trump case. Bigger than the other ten I just rattled off. Uh, this is history's most important case for Spraytan's most absorbent face. The court in his federal election subversion case pretty much indicated today they would be rejecting Donald Trump's arguments that he can't ever be criminally prosecuted for his efforts to overturn the 2020 election results, no matter how illegal they were, because it involved actions he took while president and presidents have complete immunity from ever committing crimes. Guys, it's come to this. Do not let this make you crazy. This is a sign of how desperate and scared Trump really is. Could a president be prosecuted for ordering SEAL Team 6 to assassinate political rivals? Could a president be prosecuted for selling military secrets to foreign adversaries? Donald Trump's lawyer wants you to know, no, that's completely kosher. And he argued that in federal court today. Only if they were impeached and convicted in a Senate trial first. Could the criminal justice system hold them accountable for murder or treason? And this is the legal argument. This is it, guys. Imagine how much money Donald Trump paid the impeachment lawyer three years ago who said, you can't impeach a man who's left office. You have to use the court system. Now he's paying a lawyer to say, no, you can't use the court system. You should have impeached him. Donald Trump attended this hearing today, which will give you an idea of how scared he is. And he says he's immune to any guilt in interfering with the 2020 election because he was president when he committed the crimes and the founders really wanted America to have a president who was above the law because they secretly missed having a king. 
This case is probably going to go to the Supreme Court. And this is the first chance for courts in history to gauge whether a former president has immunity from crimes because Donald Trump was kind enough to be the first president to break that many fucking laws. And the three presiding judges uh, didn't really seem open to his arguments. One of the judges asked, could a president be prosecuted for selling pardons, which he did, or military secrets, which we'll find out, or by ordering the assassination of a political opponent? I mean, Trump's legal team is trying to run out the clock. That's why he's having these ridiculous cases. They're terrified. They want to be able to push this back as much as they can because they're quite confident he's got a scheme to win the election and make all this go away. Circuit Judge Karen Henderson said, I think it is paradoxical to say his constitutional duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed allows him to violate criminal law. But what would prevent Trump from not only ordering Steel Team 6 to kill somebody, but to threaten to kill congressmen or senators if they ever voted for impeachment or conviction? I mean, he could do that, right? Donald Trump's lawyer is arguing that if he was being impeached again, he could threaten to murder senators and you could never hold him accountable in the court system because you hadn't impeached him. This guy would pardon himself for crimes before impeachment anyway. I guess essentially Donald Trump is arguing that President Joe Biden can't possibly break the law either. I'm waiting for someone to bring that up. So you might have noticed uh, the other day his lawyer, Alina Haba, she said the quid pro quo part out loud. Uh, Give a listen. This is Donald Trump's lawyer saying on camera what we already know. They fully expect obedience from the judges they think they own. Do you have it? I don't. I don't have which one is this. Oh, it's the Alina Hobb. I didn't send it to you. I'm so sorry. I'll play it in a second. That's on me, Chris. Sorry. It's crazy day. PTA meetings. These things happen. Hang on. Here you go. We're all remote. And that's just how we treat each other emotionally. So, you know, uh, Alina Hobba, more or less, is told the Supreme Court that they're counting on a little quid pro quo. After months of these lawyers saying election interference and unequal justice, they're now essentially threatening the court. They're now essentially reminding us that Trump packed this court with obedient lackeys, and she's telling them, you owe us. Give a quick listen. I think it should be a slam dunk in the Supreme Court. I have faith in them. You know, people like um, Kavanaugh, who the president fought for, who the president went through hell to get into place. He'll step up. Those people will step up, not because they're pro-Trump, but because they're pro-law, because they're pro-fairness. And the law on this is very clear. No, no, it's 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 not. He broke it. I mean, she's literally suggesting that members of the Supreme Court have to decide for Donald Trump on the basis that they owe him. And the saddest part about that? She's probably right. You don't think Brett Kavanaugh is going to step up? You don't think Neil Gorsuch is going to step up? Maybe they won't. We have to ask these questions now because they can be bought and paid for. Clarence Thomas's wife was part of the insurrection. And he's not going to recuse himself. We are powerless in the face of historic corruption. But remember, the corrupt ones in this case are what the dictionary calls freaking morons. They're scared. They're desperate. How do we get here? Get out your flowcharts. Last year, Donald Trump filed a motion to dismiss the federal indictment by Jack Smith, charging him with trying to reverse the 2020 election, having the fake slates of electors, and of course obstructing Congress on January 6th. Maybe you've heard of it. Now that motion got rejected by the trial judge, so Trump appealed to the D.C. Circuit Court. 
And the special counsel tried to get around this very lengthy appeals process because Jack Smith knows Donald Trump's only game is delay, 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 try to become president and murder my enemies. So Jack Smith, you might recall, in the fall, went directly to the U.S. Supreme Court and asked them to directly intervene. But the nation's Supreme Court returned the case to the appeals court. And so now we're witnessing exactly what Jack Smith said would happen. These motherfuckers are trying to slow this thing down so it never goes to trial. And Trump's lawyer, John Sawyer, not a good day, not a good day. And he was actually forced into conceding that presidents don't really have absolute immunity after he acknowledged that presidents who were convicted in impeachment trials could be prosecuted. It was humiliating. And brothers and sisters, it was just a preview of what's to come. Give a listen at the hearing on Trump's presidential immunity. Attorney John Sawyer gives a pretty wild answer to a wild hypothetical posed by the judge. I asked you a yes or no yes or no question, could a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival who was not impeached, would he be subject to criminal prosecution? If he were impeached and convicted first. And so, so your answer is, is no. Is. See, she, she badgered him on it because he tried to dodge it, whether presidents could be criminally prosecuted in these scenarios. Eventually, he offered a qualified yes, but he said there has to be a Senate impeach, impeachment conviction first. But... The judge, that's Judge Pan, she pointed out his acknowledgement meant that there is no absolute immunity for presidents. It was kind of brilliant. Now, Trump's lawyer said he disagreed with all of this. And then he said Trump was, you know, talking about how he's been investigated generally. But it's not looking good for Trump. And that's looking good for everything else. I mean, he's been saying the allegations in this indictment involve official acts. I did as president. I can't be prosecuted. And this is his argument. I'm allowed to break the law. Rules don't apply to me. Guys, let him run on this. Let Joe Biden wear a bathrobe and slippers and run against him if this is going to be his argument. Not saying he's innocent. He's saying I can do whatever I want because I'm special. Oh, and impeach Joe Biden for shit he did as vice president. They're trying so hard to stave off a trial. And again, prosecutors made it plain in their court filing. They wanted to leapfrog the lower appeals court because they were worried that this was all about the delay. We're sitting through it right now. But Trump's arguing that what he did was part of his official duties. Guys, when your racist uncle says that, remind them creating fake electors and asking them to find votes, calling a secretary of state to find 11,000 votes is not an official duty of a president. And it is not an investigation of election fraud. It is the orchestration of the overthrow of our government so this douchebag can stay in power. And his lawyers are playing with the system and delaying because they don't have a defense. He is not innocent. It is pathetic and it is obvious. Technically, the DOJ has this made up informal rule. We can't charge a sitting president. They've had this since Nixon, but it doesn't exist. It's not in the Constitution. There's no absolute immunity in the Constitution. So let's say as of January 6th, the votes were already counted. Each state assembly had certified the results. So under the Constitution, you have to certify the electors that each state has assigned and certify the winner has attained the majority of the electoral votes. What if on January 6th itself, there was no election? By January 6th, the votes had been counted. So you couldn't challenge the votes. That's what this is all about. That's what January 6th was all about. It was all fraud. It was all stealing. All the requests the Trump campaign asked for, and they got them. And the results never changed. They called it stop the steal. In reality, it was we lost. We don't like it. Let's steal this shit. 
Just because there's no precedent doesn't mean a precedent can't be established by this. This is on Trump. Trump's going to go down in history as the president who caused almost ending our democracy. And good for him. He likes being first at things. He said in an interview over the weekend that aired yesterday, he predicts the U.S. economy will crash and he hopes it crashes in the next year. This is with Lou Dobbs. Remember Lou Dobbs? Lou Dobbs now works for the My Pillow Guy channel. Yes. And Trump said if, if he was elected again, he would not want to serve a term similar to President Hoover's. He said, oh, no, I, I think we should have a crash now. The entire thing is insane and it's completely self-serving. Listen to this. This is <laughs> Donald Trump says he hopes the economy crashes before the election. So you all suffer and Biden looks bad. When there's a crash, I hope it's going to be during this next 12 months, because I don't want to be Herbert Hoover. The one president, I just don't want to be Herbert Hoover. Well done. Herbert Hoover really doesn't want to be you. Herbert Hoover and Republican policies gave us the Great Depression, and Hoover lost around 11 million jobs. Donald Trump lost 22 million jobs and gave us another historic Republican economic meltdown. Presidents whose policies increased foreign barriers to U.S. exports, well, there's two of them, Trump and Hoover. Hoover deported over one million Mexican-Americans. He accused them of stealing jobs during the Great Depression. <laughs> I mean, I could go on with the comparisons all night. Trump is the first president since Hoover to leave office with less jobs than when he started. He said, we have an economy that's so fragile, now it's just running on fumes. And when there's a crash during the next 12 months, I don't want to be Herbert Hoover. I mean, people want to vote for a guy who wishes ill will on their economy. And Herbert Hoover was a Republican who sat around and did nothing while the Great Depression raised on, raged on. And it took a Democrat, Franklin Roosevelt, to take care of it with his New Deal liberal programs that ushered in things like home ownership for working people. By the way, Trump's economy was riding on the fumes of the Obama recovery. Every economic indicator was trending up. When Donald Trump took office, when you have to talk to a Trump supporter who says Trump's economy was so great, ask them what Obama economic trend did Donald Trump reverse rather than continue and take credit for as he ate Big Macs without chewing. Democratic presidents have always been better for the economy. Always. I mean, it takes about two years for a president's policies to have any kind of real effect on an economy, right? Joe Biden has pretty much pulled this economy into a much better position than the dumpster fire he inherited. The economy Trump inherited was a bull market. It's what Obama created after the wreckage of the George W. Bush administration. Donald Trump kept interest rates really low, juiced the economy with a four and a half trillion tax cut for the rich. And what did he do? Cratered Obama's economy and then mismanaged and lied about the pandemic, which made it so much worse. Biden has reinvested in American technology. He got infrastructure passed. He's invested in tech manufacturing. We are seeing the strongest growth of any G7 nation. We are handling inflation better than any of our G7 allies. And gas, $3 a gallon is the average. Biden's done it. If Trump wants to take credit for the economy now, then he needs to take credit for the inflation that happened two years ago or three years ago when he was still in office. And if he's elected again, the economy will crash again and will bring in another Democrat. He's going to get more tax cuts to the wealthy. He's going to have more tariffs on foreign goods. But we're not going to have a crash, Don. Joe Biden has saved us from you. And our economy has defied all the economic predictions. And it closed 2023 with really high marks. Inflation down, job growth still high, unemployment low. We added 216,000 jobs in the last month of 2023. Unemployment rate at 3.7%. 
Biden's done it. Last month, Biden said in the four years Trump was president, and he's the only president other than Herbert Hoover who actually lost jobs in a four year period. That's why I think of him as Donald Herbert Hoover Trump. Trump inherited a good economy from Obama, reducing annual budget deficits. And then the tax cuts were made and the budget deficits ballooned. Guys, this is the only movie in politics I've been allowed to see my whole life. This is it. Republicans do this. They make the rich richer. They tank the economy. A Democrat comes in to clean up the mess. Republicans heckle them the entire time. Then they take over and they do it all again. Janet Yellen said, if you extend the 2017 tax cuts, it would lead to serious concerns over the federal budget deficit and the Congressional Budget Office, which is nonpartisan. They said last May, if you extend the Trump tax cuts, it will add three and a half trillion to the deficit. I just don't even know what to say. It seems so obvious. Um, we have a lot more news about things Donald Trump said today. But uh, before we go, just just keep this in mind. Conservative policies led to slavery, led to the extermination of Native Americans. Conservative policies led to the Great Depression, apartheid in America. It led to Herbert Hoover. Conservative policies led to the Civil War and Donald Trump and the Great Recession. What have conservatives ever done for America? Serious question. What have they ever done for this country? Donald Trump's hoping for an economic collapse in a country where 75% of us are living paycheck to paycheck, where a lot of us could not come up with 400 bucks for an emergency medical situation without having to burn up our credit cards. He does not care about you MAGA folk. He says the bigoted shit that makes you think he's on your side. Please, please donate more of your money to him, Uncle Racist and Aunt Dead Inside. Please. He cares about you so much and you're not a sucker and will really own the libs. But name one time there's been an economic disaster in this country under a Democrat. You can't. The Great Depression was Hoover. The Wall Street bust and the bailout, that was Bush. The COVID crisis, that was Trump. Budget deficits relative to the size of our economy are lower on average for Democratic presidents. And 10 of the 11 U.S. recessions from 1953 to 2020, 10 of 11 began under Republican presidents. This is SiriusXM Progress, and I want to congratulate all of you for being listeners of this channel, because you guys are deeply on the right side of history. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Progress. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. About popular support for popular policies, <laughs> paid leave is polling really good, guys, like better than ever. And 85% of voters in battleground states favor paid parental, family, and medical leave. This is in a new poll done by Lake Research Partners uh, on behalf of the advocacy group Paid Leave for All Action Found. Now, this breaks down to 96% of Democrats, 82% of independents, and 76% of Republicans. 96% of young voters of color favored it, as do 84% of suburban women. Paid family leave is incredibly popular. It's incredibly good for our economy. And if you're running for re-election, it seems like the sort of thing a smart politician trying to get middle-class votes would be very friendly to. So why don't we have it yet? I am so pleased to welcome one of our favorite guests back to the show. Kristen Rowe Finkbeiner is executive director, CEO, and co-founder of Moms Rising and the board president of the Moms Rising Education Fund. She's been involved in public policy and grassroots engagement for more than two decades. She's an award-winning author of books and articles. And, of course, she is the host of the radio program Breaking Through, powered by Moms Rising. Kristen Rowe Finkbeiner, Happy New Year, and welcome back to SiriusXM. Happy New Year. I hope you had a good holiday. I got to spend the holiday with my family, so I am still fired up and rejuvenated from the time with family, rolling into the big fights that we have ahead of us in 2024. I know. You sound very geared up for a crazy year. I'm trying to tell everyone, I mean, there's going to be so much fighting, so much competition, so many so many ugly accusations hurled back and forth, and that's just Donald Trump's trials. I'm not even talking about the campaigns. Trump's trials alone are going to be draining. I'm very much looking forward to seeing how you uh, take on everything this year. Well, I am really excited because I have good news as usual. There has been a lot of mainstream news coverage saying that there's cynicism, that there's apathy, that there's just basic yuck happening around the country. But I'm here to be the myth buster on that. We have already over 6,500 get out the vote volunteers set up, lined up for November 2024. That is 11 months from now. We have seen double the amount of expected people turning out for local events. We've seen a lot of passion and compassion for saving our democracy. And one of the things that was on NPR recently was that it is a tactic of the far right to say that there is cynicism and apathy to have voter suppression and that it's a very yeah. effective tactic to say that, hey, nobody cares. Well, guess what? We care. We all care. and We're all going to vote and we're all going to pay attention to who's doing what, who's saying what, what's happening with Donald Trump and the wins that Biden has brought us. So I'm here with evidence, real life evidence, not just polls, but also people showing that People are still rising for democracy and justice, and we very much continue uh, to expect to see them rise through November 2024. Right on. I can't wait to vote for you. Uh, honestly, we're always for fed me. a diet. 
what we're always we're, we're always we're always fed like no you you got to run someday for something but we're always fed this steady media diet of how divided we are how divided we are and of course social media exacerbates that but you, you know we're 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 not really that divided the majority of us support women's reproductive freedom the majority of us believe the government has a responsibility to protect the lives and rights of all Americans the majority of us agree that black Americans are targets of racism and policing the majority of us including Republicans think the government should be able to negotiate drug prices. 83% of us want to expand Medicare to cover hearing, vision, and dental. You know, they keep telling us, I mean, taxing the rich more, incredibly popular. But when we come to paid family leave, man, we learn a lot about how crazy the rest of the world thinks we are. Because paid family leave is one of those issues that's incredibly popular with conservatives and progressives and independents. And it's popular around the world. The rest of the world is shocked that we're so behind the rest of the world. Yeah, every other industrialized nation on the actual planet Earth has this policy in place already. So it's not an experimental policy. It's not a radical policy. It's not a left-wing or white right-wing policy. It is a common-sense policy that we all need. And what is it? What is paid family medical leave? A lot of people wonder that. When you hear us talking about it, people are like, be a little bit more specific. Good point. So paid family medical leave is when you can take time off with partial or full wage replacement when a new baby arrives, when a serious health crisis strikes yourself or a close loved one, or when you need to have an adopted or foster children That's right. move into your household. So this is something that we have over a dozen states have already passed this policy. It, again, is not experimental. What have we learned from having these policies implemented in the United States of America? That is the good news that is important to share today. Absolutely. And I don't even know if we should scare our Republican friends more by telling them how they do it in Canada, but... um. Up in Canada, dads get paid family leave whenever a new baby is born. And uh, it's an extremely generous policy because it's a society that recognizes that letting parents have time off to care for their newborns or newly adopted is extremely good for the economy and extremely good for capitalism. Yeah, and, and that is a good point that you just raised. So in the what have we learned in California, particularly we learned that when there's access to paid family medical leave, there's a 40% decreased need for other government support programs like WIC, like SNAP, like TANF. So taxpayers are saving dollars when there's paid family medical leave. We also learned that businesses save money because there's higher productivity, higher retention, and lower retraining and recruitment costs. This is huge. That's right. Businesses are saving money too. We also learned that paid family medical leave saves lives, people. It saves lives. The United States of America is the only World Health Organization country where maternal mortality or dying in childbirth is going up, not down. It's ridiculous. And black women are three to five times as likely to die in childbirth as white women. Hugely yep. awful and ridiculous. What helps solve that? Paid family medical leave. We also know that it helps with infant mortality and it helps keep people in needed jobs. So when you have access to paid family medical leave, which again is for when a new baby arrives, a serious health crisis strikes yourself or a close loved one, you're able to stay in that job, which helps businesses too, because you don't have supply chain issues. You don't mm -hmm. have supply chain issues because you don't have people suddenly pulled out of those jobs. You have job consistency. And that helps our whole economy. It actually lifts our whole economy. The other thing it does, and this is about the dad point, which you raised, Please. is when you have access to paid family medical leave, 
and affordable childcare and healthcare, you need sort of a grouping of policies. You actually close the wage gaps between moms and non-moms. Yes. The wage gaps are huge. Being a mom is a greater predictor of wage and hiring discrimination than gender. And moms of color, because of structural racism, are earning as low as 46 cents to a white dad's dollar if you're a Latina mom, or 52 cents to white dad's dollar if you're a black mom. It's unacceptable. But solutions are possible, and solutions are possible when everybody of all gender, let's bring in the dads here, has access to paid family <laughs> medical leave. So we see in countries like Canada, we see in countries in Europe, we see in countries around the world that some of them offer actually bonus time off for the whole family if the dad takes paid family medical leave because it helps close those wage gaps so significantly by fighting that discrimination against moms. So it's huge. It's a big policy with big benefits. It's long past time. We've seen, you know, again, over these 12 states marching toward the U.S. Capitol saying, you know, we're implementing it at the state level. Now it's time to have national paid family medical leave so you don't have to win the boss lottery or the geography exactly. lottery in order to be able to have this critical policy in place. I'm fired up about this, people, and I'm not the only one fired up about this. We see from polls that voters are fired up about this. So we want all the candidates to be talking about but also supporting. We want them to walk the talk. Paid family medical leave, because that's how you get the mom vote, the dad vote, the caregiver vote. And, you know, all of us at some point have had a parent. So you get a lot of votes, candidates, if you're listening, if you support paid family medical leave. This poll also found out that 65 percent, almost two thirds of voters in battleground states are motivated to vote. They're more motivated to vote if they know there's the creation of a paid leave program on the ballot. That's four in five millennial and Gen Z voters who are already considered to be low turnout based on when they registered and how frequent they vote. It's also based on four in five young women as well as nine in 10 black women. It helps turnout. Just saying you want to put it on the ballot helps turnout, which brings us to President Biden who campaigned on 12 weeks of paid family and medical leave for all Americans. And once he got elected, he went on to include it in the Build Back Better package. But of course, Republicans killed that. And by Republicans, I mean Joe Manchin and Democrats ultimately stripped it out before passage. So where is it? Where are we standing now with national coverage? Because I'll give Biden credit. He really tried to do it. But something this popular, Kristen, this is worth fighting for again. Well, we have not stopped fighting. It's not a matter of fighting again. The fight has never ended. We're doubling down on rising up. And in fact, we heard from President Biden himself within the last week from his own conversation with moms and caregivers that he has not given up on the fight for paid family medical leave. He also hasn't given up on the fight for affordable child care and for making sure that care workers earn living wages. And this is where these policies sort of bump into each other. So also in the United States of America, child care costs more than college. It's ridiculous. And infant child care is often just flat out impossible to find because people can't get insured to have infants in care who are younger than six weeks. So what do you do when you have a baby and you don't have access to paid family medical leave and you also don't have access to affordable child care? You get pushed out of the labor force. And that is where we see the economy really take a dive because we see a lot of people getting pushed out of the labor force, which causes those supply chain disruptions, harms the economy, harms the businesses, harms the family, harms the public health, all the harms that can be reversed to be benefits when you have paid family medical leave. So we do see President Biden continuing with that care infrastructure push, which is paid family medical leave, 
affordable child care, fair pay for all care workers, and elder care, which is also very important because many people are sandwiched between caring yeah. for somebody younger than them and right. somebody older than them. And right. all of these things don't have to be this way. You know, we don't have to be in this daily struggle. There are better uh, ways to do this. Family I, thing. I give the <laughs> I give the president credit for fighting to fulfill his campaign promise. I, I just think it's the sort of thing that on a moral and political level would be really smart to devote an entire address to. You know, I loved seeing him go to yeah. South Carolina. I thought it was important that he gave the speech he gave at Valley Forge. But why not for a topic that is of such economic and moral urgency? This is exactly the sort of thing that Joe Biden needs to campaign about that has nothing whatsoever to do with Donald Trump, but exactly yeah, the kind and, of America he's trying to bring. And he has, to his credit, he has, as somebody who did experience a family emergency, losing his wife and his children and You're being right. a single dad. He shared that story of that struggle and what these policies would have meant to him. He understands what's going on with parents and he is not giving up. And I expect, listeners, that we will see in the State of the Union, which is on March 7th, some mention of this care infrastructure policies. And if people want to play along on a bingo card with Moms Rising, we'll be distributing a free bingo card so you can oh, watch awesome. the State of the Union speech and see if he mentions paid family medical leave, child care, home and community-based services, which is also known as elder care, and a whole bunch of other policies that he actually pushed through and won. Because the other thing that just makes my ears smoke is that President Biden has done a tremendous amount of good in our country, and it is rarely seen. He's exactly. helped expand access to health care in significant ways and lower the prices of prescription drugs. He yeah. helped pass the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, the Pump for Nursing Mothers Act. He helped push through policies that have been stalled for so, so, so long that lift families in our economy. And he gets like zero credit. I was talking hearing to aids people. over the count, hearing aids over the counter. Now people on Medicare can buy insulin. Yeah. The big three are finally negotiating with the government for drug prices. So yeah. much progress from such a divided Congress. I swear to God, I'm like, I, Chris, and I'm like, hey, run a hundred year old guy. Let's see how much he gets done in a day. Holy <laughs> shit. 80 year olds get a lot done. I'm astonished by this. Yeah. I mean, 80 year olds are wily, right? Like, oh, my God. Harrison Ford did like two TV series <laughs> and an Indiana Jones movie last year. These 80 year olds are taking over. I mean, they really are. And the thing is, is the ageism is real. Ageism yeah. is a force in and of itself. And sometimes we have to name it to change it. We have to say, hey, Thank what you. we're hearing right now is ageism. That's Let's right. take a look at all of the double standards that are happening around us. How old exactly is Donald Trump, by the way? Mm -hmm. uh, he would what? be seven, 77. Yeah. yeah, three and, years and, younger. <laughs> you're right. And, and Keith Richards is 80 and could kick his ass and you know it. So <laughs> I, I love the bingo card idea, Miss uh, Rofinkbeiner, and I want you to come back on the show before that just to promote it because I want to get all our listeners to do it. I do something similar with Republican debates, uh, but it's more of a drinking game and it's more like take a drink every time they say the words middle class and they never say those words so no one drinks. Yours sounds a lot more fun. But uh, as you point out right now, the U.S. is the only wealthy nation without a federal paid family leave policy. But you also pointed out on the state level, there have been really inspiring victories that didn't get a ton of national attention in the last year. Minnesota, 
with that, which has a one seat Democratic majority, one seat Democratic majority enacted the most pro worker package of laws that any state has passed maybe this century, which has, you know, prohibits non-compete clauses, bars anti-union captive audience meetings, but most importantly, includes paid medical and family leave and universal school meals and automatic voter registration. What other states should we be watching? What other states have we learned from? And, and where are the battlefields going to be this election year? Well, I'm so glad you brought up the states and the bipartisan nature of these policies, because in Washington state, we saw paid family medical leave pass in one of the strongest ways of any place in the country, because it had uh, graduated wage replacement, meaning the less you earned, the more of your paycheck you got back during your time of paid family medical leave. And this passed with a 12-person Republican majority in the Washington State Senate. So we see that constituents around the country all support these critical policies like paid family medical leave. We Mm -hmm. see that at local level, city, county, state, we see elected officials of both political parties supporting these policies. We see Congress a disaster with Republicans just absolutely out of step with their constituents. And so what does that mean? What does that tell us? What do the states teach us. The states teach us that we have to kick some of those people out of Congress who are standing in the way of paying <laughs> family you. medical leave, because this is not a partisan issue. We should not have our families be used as political footballs. We should not have people speaking about family values, but devaluing our families in real time. And we should not have excellent public policies pushed off a ledge. One of the things we learned during the pandemic, which I think is super important, is that these policies actually work in the United States of America. Take the expanded child tax credit, which was expanded to a monthly payment based on the amount of children that you had during the pandemic. We had a 40% decrease in child poverty. We had a number of people using those policies to enable them to get things like childcare so that they could go to work enable them to have that bridge moment because they didn't have any paid family medical leave. And do you know what happened? We had the largest workforce participation rate of women in our recent history. So we saw that not only did those policies work to lift people out of poverty, they worked to lift our economy. Because here's the thing. We know that our economy is based 76% on consumer spending. And we also know that women and moms make more than 80% of those consumer spending decisions. This is it, yes. if we don't have money, if we can't be in jobs to put food on the table and a roof over our heads, then the entire economy loses out because we're the ones making the consumer decisions. So it is just ridiculous. I'm getting squeaky here because I get so annoyed that we don't have these policies in place yet. But fortunately, it's no longer a question of if, but when we get those policies in place, Mm. because we know that everybody from the polls supports these policies, except Again, the ridiculous yes. Republicans in Congress. So let's vote them out, people. Vote them out. And it's tw- it's 12 <laughs> weeks is what we're shooting for, right? We're shooting for 12 yep. weeks. 12 weeks of paid parental and family leave. Again, three quarters of Republicans support this. Um, uh, Kristen Rowe Finkbeiner, it is such a pleasure having you back on the show. I love your energy and I love your passion and I love your, your, your brilliance on all these issues. Please come back and see us many times. How can our listeners follow you and keep up with all your important work? Moms Rising on Twitter, on Facebook, on IG, everywhere, and in Espanol at Mamas Con Poder. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. And please come back and see us before the State of the Union. Oh, uh, before the, and also you were at Biden's speech this week, right? How was it? I was. He was spectacular. In person, President Biden was strong. He was energetic. He was captivating. 
it was the opposite of what much of the news is saying yeah. about him. And, you know, I miss my words here and there just because I have trouble talking all day. And he did way better. And he's got a history of having an actual stutter. So I know right? I was really <laughs> excited um, to be there and feel the electric energy um, and to really be that myth buster that, you know, there's not a problem with energy. No. There's not a problem with strength. And right on. the United States of America remains you know, in a position of strength and power because of President Biden, not in spite of I agree. Of right on. Kristen Rowe Finkbeiner, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you again really soon. We'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748. This is Progress. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is SiriusXM Progress. I am so excited to welcome uh, this next guest back to the show. We're going to be taking your calls, by the way, all the way until midnight on the East Coast, 9 p.m. on the Pacific. So if you uh, are have been on hold, please stay there. I promise we're going to get to you. We still have a ton of news yet to cover. But I want to talk for a bit about, um, well, if not the greatest topical comic of all time, the godfather of modern political comedy, and that is... Mr. Lenny Bruce. Uh, Mr. Bruce left this world long before I was ever born, but I grew up fascinated by him and saw a lot of performances over the years. Dustin Hoffman, of course, is iconic for many in uh, the Bob Fosse film. I saw uh, Eddie Izzard play Lenny Bruce in London. Uh, in a production of the original play, Lenny. Um, you know, there's the guy on Miss Maisel. A lot of actors have tried it. But one night at the cutting room in New York City, I got to see our next guest play Lenny Bruce. In his amazing solo show, I'm Not a Comedian, I Am Lenny Bruce. Now, Ronnie Marmo is a terrific actor and director and writer, but this solo show is one of, the, I, it's one of those shows that I had to go back and see it again because I couldn't get over how powerful and easy he made it all look. A show that shows why Lenny Bruce was special and why Lenny Bruce was tragic. The play itself is dynamite. It's a terrific work. He's done it all over the country. And Mr. Marmo is now back in the East Coast. So if you're anywhere near New Jersey, three shows this Thursday through Saturday, the 11th through the 13th at the New Brunswick Performing Arts Center. It's a real pleasure to welcome my favorite Lenny Bruce back, Ronnie Marmo. Happy New Year, sir. Thank you, John. Wow, that's amazing. I think we should just forget the interview. That was wonderful. We should just no, no. Your show, the show is dark, man. The show is dark. You, you have a man who died on the toilet of heroin, and you go there. Your your performance in this show is as fearless as as Lenny's material. But I, I'll say something that a lot of people have said. I sat next to Lenny Bruce's daughter the second time I saw your show, 
and mm. she loved it. Um, she was enraptured by it, and the whole crowd was. What was it that first captured your uh, fantasy, your imagination about this guy, and what was it that made you decide you wanted to throw so much of your creative energy into crafting and developing and going out there and bleeding on stage every night? Well, thank you, John. I really do appreciate all that. Um, you know, I was first turned on to Lenny. Like you, I wasn't around when he was. Uh, I was born five years after he died. And I grew up on Carlin and Pryor. But I, I knew Lenny's name. And then one day, Charlie Brill, a wonderful comic, came to me. And he said, Charlie Brill and Mitzi McCall and Jack Burns and all these guys. Yeah. They'd let me have lunch with them every week, these guys. Every Wednesday, Bobcat, all these people. So he said to me one day, you know who Lenny was? And I said, this about 20 years ago. And I said, well, I knew his name a little bit. He said, you remind me of Lenny. He said, there was this play called Lenny's Back and Boy, Is He Pissed. He's like, somebody wrote it for me. Why don't you do it? And I'll direct it. So I said, I don't know, Charlie. Lenny's friends will be 70 years old in Los Angeles at this point. His friends are still around. I don't know. Anyway, two years it took, but he talked me into it. I did the play. I fell in love with Lenny. Ran for six months. Did a good job. I really liked it. We got, you know, we got all the great reviews. And then one day I woke up and realized that I was leaving so much out. I don't want to say it was a safe version, but it just felt like once I understood like authentically that like there was stuff I was leaving on the table, a lot of stuff right. that I, I couldn't put anymore, you know? So I went off and I wrote my own really is what happened. So got the and, rights and wrote them. Yep. And led to uh, such a terrific off-Broadway show uh, right. as well. And, you know, and I've even seen you actually get up on stage for benefit shows and do Lenny Bruce stand up, which is pretty tough. I think for a lot of people, um, Lenny Bruce may be more archaeological than someone you'd put on to laugh. I mean, I find the Carnegie Hall record uh, fascinating. And some bits like Christ and Moses, I find still incredibly immediate. A, a lot of it, you really have to put yourself in a very different cultural mindset of what America was like to appreciate how scandalous this man was. Well, that's true. And funny enough, we're still dealing with so many of the same issues. It's like, I don't know if he would be embarrassed or inspired to keep talking about it, but so many things that feel like we've regressed in so many ways, you know, but Lenny definitely paved the way. I mean, this guy, he was the last guy to be uh, criminally persecuted for uh, prosecuted for, uh, for word crimes on stage. I mean, in That's the comedy right. club, he was the last right. guy. So a lot of people don't really, I've met comics, John, who make a living at this, who are like are over the age of 40 who don't know who Lenny was. Yeah, and then I believe that concerns me, you know? Yeah, me too. Me too. I hear it all the time. How did Joe Mantegna, however, come to be your director? So about 20 years ago, when I got to L.A., I wrote this movie, a little movie called West of Brooklyn. And I, you know, I, I cast all my schmucky friends. A few of them had a little name value. Most of them were just my pals. And I was like, there's this one role. I've got to have Joe Mantegna. I love that guy. You know, I didn't know who he was. So I wrote a letter to a P.O. box. And I was like 28 years old. And I said, Joe, I'm I'm an Italian-American actor. I, I look up to you in the way you've navigated your career. Would you consider giving this kid a shot? You know? So I sent him the script to a P.O. box. I never know what's going to happen. Two days later, he calls me. It's Joe Montaigne. I read your script. I love it. Can we get together? Couldn't believe it. <laughs> and he's been like a mentor and a dad ever since. And quite honestly, uh, directing this show... You know, normally if a, a director comes opening weekend, maybe the second weekend they'll tighten things up. I've done 434 performances and he's seen a hundred of them. Wow. He comes all the time. I'm like, Joe, what are you doing? He goes, I love the show, kid. I love it. Let's keep going. You know? So I it's mean, like, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, he I mean, he was on our show and talked about how much he loved this script. And, you know, I, I'm thinking about how in the course of Lenny's career, he became less preoccupied with getting laughs and more preoccupied with playing the truth he felt in his heart. Um, there's a lot of other factors at play here. But in the era where we're talking about Dave Chappelle and, you know, people, comics who are risking their popularity, I, I wanted to ask you about that, because I would imagine you probably have some folks who come to the show to see what the controversy was all about. I mean, it, in many ways, the controversy of Lenny Bruce wasn't just that he said controversial things. It was that he <laughs> he he changed the art form and towards the end was making it more uh, of a being a monologist or an essayist than actually getting laughs. No doubt, John. He was like, you know, he would get up on stage and be the first guy to open a newspaper and just sit there for a few minutes and just start riffing. Very much like what you do, John. I mean, I think you do a great job and you, you really remind me a lot of ways of what Lenny was doing, which I appreciate. Thank you for that. And uh, Lenny just spoke the truth. You know, he talked about his wife. He talked about his family. Uh, and people were like, oh, my God, you're going to talk about your wife? And he wasn't a joke comic. He always kind of got to a point. I love when people come to the show and they go, oh, my God, I'm going to go see a stand-up show. And then, yeah. I, you know, I, I start to play dead naked on the toilet. Spoiler alert. And <laughs> people are always like, oh, my God, I didn't know. So I always say it's the funniest tragedy you'll ever see because it, it's very funny. But it's heartbreaking. And, and we take you through the guy's life. We do some of the bits. As you know, but we take you through the journey, you know. So yeah, I mean, it it it's not a comedy show; it's a show about a comedian, and I I think I mean it's more of a a tragedy with laughs. Is that a fair description? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I say. The funniest tragedy you'll ever see. That's how I kind of how I pitch it nowadays. You know. Let so. me ask you about uh about the use of language and uh, about you know your. Uh, ongoing struggle to make the play as true to Lenny Bruce's work as possible when it comes to the N-word in 21st century America. Um, it's been an interesting ride for you in terms of seeing what audiences are ready to handle and what audiences are ready to understand. Well, I don't know if you know this. It's In this moment, it's not currently in the show. I know. I read and about I, it in the New York Daily News. Okay, yeah. And it's not in the show right now because what happened was, John, is like, I was really proud to do the N-word bit. And if you know it, you'll see that Lenny was really trying to get to a point. You know, he was the voice of the brown and black people of the time. And yes. really, he was really a wonderful, wonderful person. So, but you no, had, unlike, you to, unlike our friend Michael Richards, it was a very well thought out and structured bit. Well, yeah, it's a very different. It was a structured bit getting to a point. Michael Richards just, you know, I don't know what happened there. Michael Richards, tried, he, I know what happened. God bless him. But he tried to do N-word material on stage improv. He tried to he tried to be Lenny Bruce without writing and developing the material first. And he tried just selling you know, it for shock value and it, it He's not the only guy who's done that too and they oh, blame I know. it. They point to Lenny and I go no no don't 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 compare yourself to Lenny. That's not what he was doing. Yeah. Anyway, so Lenny would do this N-word bit and he would end up offending every ethnic background during the bit. Sure but he was getting that if we could just take the power out of the words, right? Well, I saw a distinct change I called Dick Gregory's son, Christian Gregory, and I said, I'm coming to Chicago. People are warning me, don't do the N-word bit. They're going to kill you in Chicago. They're literally going to kill you. You have to get walked to your car. I call him. He says, Ronnie, you got to do the bit. My father, Dick, and, and Lenny would be rolling over in their graves. Please do the bit. So I do the bit. It's a big hit. Only three or four people walked out in six months, which is good. And then, because they weren't listening, everyone else got it. And then when George Floyd happened... I went back to yep. Chicago and everything just kind of looked and felt different. And and I had to like sit with that for months and months. And I really not to get too hokey, John, but I really sat with it going, 
can I can I still honor and respect Lenny and not do this bit? That's it. Man. And, and and the truth is, is I thought in some ways I started to it would have been a disservice because nobody was listening and they would have just, you know, encapsulated this guy in a two minute bit. And he was so much more than that. And so I went to Kitty and Joe Montaigne. I said, I think I should take the bit out for a minute. And they were like, thank God. Thank you. Thank you. You know, <laughs> they were relieved, but they left it to me. And uh, and I replaced it with a bit called The Meaning of Obscenity, which is really mm -hmm. cool. And funny enough, I think the bit actually works better in the show because that was the whole point. Fighting. Right. Of course. So now it tracks through the show because I do that bit about eight minutes into the show. And so as a writer, I look at that and go, OK, the shock for shock value is not quite as extreme as the N word was. But the but the uh, meaning of obscenity really plays well. I have no regrets. I uh, and I don't know. I got nothing. But listen, I, we, we talked about it before, sir. I, I have nothing but admiration for you for doing the bit in the first place and uh, in retiring the bit from the show or at least putting it on pause. I think you did what uh, Lenny had a hard time doing in the last couple of years. You were able to read the room and <laughs> very well done. I, I'm curious, Ronnie, uh, before we go, uh, what has surprised you about the response of young people when they've seen the show? You know, it's wild, John. When I first when I first started, I, I assumed because Lenny was a you know he he was on the left and you know like I said a voice of the brown and black people and very, very he was a, a hipster and a beating and I thought for sure all the young people were going to get that and then one day I did the I did the show in L A and a guy some young twenty year old kid actor who I admired thought he had a lot of potential I said so what do you think man what do you think and he goes I don't know if I like this guy and I go what do you what do you mean. And then I went, oh, he's 20. We're not supposed to say whatever we want. He goes, I don't think he should have gotten to say whatever he wanted to say. I said, listen, Lenny believed in free speech, right? But he also believed that he, there was also consequences for free speech. So Lenny never said, I could say what I want and screw you. He'd say, I could say what I want and my boss gets to fire me if he wants. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Everybody mm -hmm. gets to do what they want to do, right? It's called first, you know, free speech. So it was wild to see that. So then I thought I was going to tour this show up and down Florida for the rest of my career, you know, John, that's what I yeah. thought it was good. But it turns out I was wrong because the marvelous Mrs. Maisel helped, helped the show out a lot by that's introducing Iyer, whether he was doing a, a completely authentic Lenny or not, that's not important. I thought he did a good job, yeah. but he wasn't given the material. It wasn't that kind of show. Um, and the facts are, is that they introduced an entire generation to Lenny's name. And then, so they would be introduced by Maisel, then they come to the show. Now, when I walk on stage, half the audience is 25 years old. That's amazing. It's mine. Yeah, yeah. So amazing. It's, it's really cool how it's turned out to be this, this thing, you know? It's really an important show. I mean, the people who show up, I just had Jim Belushi come, God rest his soul, Tony Bennett, Billy Crystal, mm. these people showing up because apparently Joy Behar's coming uh, Thursday. Ah, nice. You just asked for a few tickets. So people want to hear from Lenny right now. Yeah, they it's great. Ro and Ronnie, I got to tell you, I've seen this show. I love the show. I want to see it again. Everybody, if you're on the East Coast, if you're anywhere near Jersey, at the New Brunswick Performing Arts Center this week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the 11th, 12th, and 13th, do yourself a favor and see I'm Not a Comedian. I'm Lenny Bruce, directed by Tony winner Joe Mantegna, and starring Ronnie Marmo. Ronnie, how can our audience follow you and keep up with all your doings? 
uh, Lenny Bruce on stage.com. And then if you go to Ronnie Marmo on all the socials and also Lenny, uh, I think it's, I am Lenny Bruce on the socials. And uh, we'd love you to, you know, to keep following the show. Lenny Bruce on stage has all our, our tour dates. We're going to Houston. We're going back to Chicago for the fourth right time, on. March right and on. April and then Houston. So I can't wait to see it again. Ronnie, thank you. It was great to run into you at that weird benefit show in L.A. Uh, last fall as well. And everyone needs to go see you and I am not a comedian. I am Lenny Bruce. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Progress. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, the weirdest story of the day has broken. I don't even know what to do with this information that Chris has just given me. I think why don't we bring Keith in and let's get Keith's live response to this interesting bit of news. Our executive producer Chris uh, Hausenfeld just uh, just gave me here about the Trump civil trial uh, in New York. I know there's a lot of trials to keep track of. I need help from someone who is smarter, more moral, and more beautiful than I. And that's why we have Keith Price, comedian, actor, writer, radio star, the first openly gay black radio host at Sirius XM, and he co-anchored the wonderful morning show on the late lamented breakthrough channel OutQ. Catch his wonderful Broadway-focused Instagram, Keith Price's Curtain Call Comedy. Daddy, welcome back. Hello, my darlings. Good evening. Hello. Good evening. Keith, there's so much to talk about my god what, what all, is this all breaking these, news i, I well, have to there, know there's a lot of trump trials you know about this right. there's you know you know donald trump's got some legal problems keith is that made is that news made its way back to the holler where you live <laughs> that donald trump's got some lawyering to, up to do um, a lot of lawyering to do lots of lawyering well there's the campaign fraud thing with the porn star right. uh there's the 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 classified documents that he illegally took there's that right uh the election fraud thing in georgia mm -hmm. uh the eugene carroll rape and defamation, part two. Mm -hmm. uh, he's already guilty in that one. Uh, Colorado right. Supreme Court case threw him off the ballot. Uh, pyramid scheme case from back. That's Celebrity Apprentice pyramid scheme later this month. And then there's the big one, uh, the federal election subversion case. That's yes. eight. I'm talking about the ninth, uh, the eighth trial. It's that one. It is. It is. It, 
is that no no the ninth trial the ninth trial keith that i can keep track of the ninth oh donald God. trump trial i mentioned the porn star right this is the right. ninth donald trump trial that's happening right now he's got nine balls in the air as a juggler think about think about how many rubes he has to fleece to pay all those lawyers keith think about how many races he has to appeal to to pay off these lawyers with his dwindling income uh in the middle of this uh he's got the new york state fraud case Right. The tax and real estate fraud right. in New York, which he's already guilty of. Fonnie Willis, who have been watching this play out. Um, there's some news now that Chris just came. And, and Chris, would you would you be kind enough to report this news? I I find this to be truly surprising and a little heartbreaking because this Donald Trump trial is not going to be on TV. Uh, sure, sure. Um, so this Thursday is the closing arguments in his civil fraud trial. An attorney. So uh, the AP reports via an anonymous source that an attorney for Trump informed Judge Arthur Engeron earlier this week that Donald Trump wished to speak during the closing arguments. The defendant (laughs) wants to talk during the lawyer's closing arguments. (laughs) And and Judge Engeron was like, sure, go ahead and approve the plan. And the judge is going to let him. Now, here's the question. Will he will will Trump have to be under oath when he speaks during the closing arguments? Because that's all I want to know. (laughs) <laughs> he's gonna talk during his lawyer's closing arguments someone's gonna sneak a tape recorder in there i'm sorry it has to happen Baby. he just called this case a hoax he just called this case a case a hoax on his shitty website keith he calls this case a hoax because he knows he's already lost the case because isn't that the whole thing this isn't really about about him not being guilty of this stuff. It's about how much she's going to have to give to the state for all of yes. his foolishness. Yes, it so, is. But I mean, but I mean, you don't, you're, you're, you, most people, most defendants <laughs> don't give their own summations when they're paying lawyers to do that for them. And I don't know for sure, Keith, I've got to check, but I'm, I'm reasonably certain. I'm reasonably certain Donald Trump is not a law school graduate. I, I got to no, double check, not. but I'm pretty but sure. Come on. Let's just, you know what? Let's take this as part of the same wave of, oh my God, this is unprecedented. <laughs> if he gets convicted, he's going to come out and say, it's not my fault. My lawyer was a shitty opening act. I delivered my part beautifully. <laughs> oh I was set up for Lord. failure, folks. Can wow. you, you know what's so sad is that you know he's not going to do it. You know he's not going to do it. I mean, oh, I let's bet be he honest. I bet he's he doesn't, Keith. Do Keith. Oh, his no. narcissism, he'll do it. He no. believes. Donald Trump believes he can manipulate anybody, Keith. He's surrounded by yes-men all the time. He is so convinced that his charisma will move rocks that he's going to do it. Chris, go ahead. Tell him. Tell him, well, not, o- not only is he going to do it, Keith, I've gotten to my time machine and uh-huh. went into the future, and I <laughs> got you audio of Donald Trump speaking. Really? In the court, yeah, in the court on Thursday during the closing arguments. That's quite arguments. a get, Chris. You want to premiere it here? What is going on? Mr. Crispin, you are out of order. You're out of order. You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. They're out of order. Wow. That man, that's so crazy. Unbelievable. I just finished my opening statement. <laughs> I just, again, I just, I, I really would love to see this truly just like explode so heavily in his face yeah. to the point that there's nowhere, it, it's sort of like, 
I want to liken this to possibly, now this is just me being me because you know how much I love me some Indiana Jones, but possibly Indeed. this this is the 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 burning candle or the burning flame that might <laughs> break the fever for some of these people that are still walking oh, around like really? zombies. Oh, I'm now who's wondering. naive, Mr. Price? Now who's the naive one? Really? <laughs> This one, love to see after it. stealing no, migrant children and people shitting in the Capitol building and beating the crap out enough. of cops. But this, oh, this, no. Not enough. That's not enough, no. baby. We need more. And, and the thing is, is that, again, this grandstanding, it's like, you know what a punk bitch he is. He is such a punk bitch. There is no honest way that he's going to stand in front. Like, his lawyers are going to just be like, okay, sure, if that's what you want to do. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I just don't see them... You know, their reputations are sullied enough as it is, yeah. but like, I don't, I don't think that they, you know, that's a sulliness that they could wash off after a year or two. But like, if they let him do this, it's like, they're just asking for their own careers to get shot in the foot as well. And it'll be just like, uh, you know, I, I just, and he's already guilty. Keith. He's, we got to point out he's already guilty. Exactly. He's been found guilty already. He committed all this fraud. The New York attorney, the attorney general, Tish James, originally was seeking two hundred fifty million, a quarter of a billion from this guy. Mm-hmm. But after the testimony in the last month, they've now upped it to three hundred seventy million dollars. They're going to mm-hmm. take away his corporation, Keith. He has now destroyed everything he inherited from both his father and Barack Obama. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think the only reason why the price went up is because they just pissed her off. And she's just like, you know what? I'm sorry, I was man. Be conservative. I... But you know what? This, this mother scratcher, let me tell you what he needs now. And she Everybody rolled her so... neck and it became, you throw it on the $125 million for getting on my goddamn nerves. <laughs> that's, what she, that's what she did. That's why you You're pay right? more because you are my goddamn nerves. And that's is. God with a T. That's goddamn. That's that's that's, that's the I level mean, of Tish James did not come to play, you people. Um, say, okay. You know what, I, Keith? Everyone's so scared about Joe Biden's age. You know, he's he's eighty one, which means by November he'll be one hundred and nine. Everyone's terrified <laughs> of his age. Uh, you know what? I am determined to enjoy twenty twenty four. I'm sorry, Donald Trump is in nine different criminal trials. <laughs> Fuck your fear. I am going to laugh this year, and I'm going to enjoy. I, the whole Republicans might take this. I don't care. I refuse to not enjoy all the malfeasance, <laughs> double talk and jive, and rank fuckery on my TV this year. And it's going to be insane. Like this, you know. Again, some I don't know if it was like Steve Osinsami or somebody. I was watching like ABC News, and they they were t- commenting on the fact that you know nowhere has it ever been a president, an ex president, being you know held up on trial. And I was like, well, nowhere in history have we ever had a president who was such a fucking crook like we never ever (laughs) had i mean they tried you know to do their little things here and there but at least they didn't just become this glutton for everything and now we're watching him explode kind of like the the fat guy at the end of um what is it life of brian money python money python and uh, and the meaning meaning of life meaning of life yeah Yeah. and and i want to get to our callers but it's so true and everyone's flipping out about these criminal indictments and it's like folks he was already, before the first indicted president, he was already the only president to be banned from running a charity. He was already the first president to be fined $26 million for education fraud from stealing from vets. I could go on like this. Either you care or you don't. The, he, he's number one. And you know what? 
And he's going to be number two in the history books as well. Let's get to the phones. <laughs> These lines are filled up. People want to talk. It's, it's, it's oh. what the hell o'clock and people are fired up and I am here for it. 866-997-GRIT. Dave from Pittsburgh. You have been so patient. You're on Sirius XM with Keith Price. He's the only one to run a casino into the ground when the house is raked in his favor. Thank you. Thank you. This Republican Party from Bush to Trump, they went from the oil man who couldn't find oil in Texas to the casino brat who couldn't run a casino in Atlantic City. Oh, yeah. Put a businessman in charge, Republicans. Beautiful. <laughs> oh, did you see that they're working on making a musical play based off of uh, Purple Rain? Purple Rain. Yes, I know. Pretty interesting. Yeah, I think I, I think I, I think the script is going to get me too the night it opens on Broadway. A lot of people don't remember. Um, <laughs> Purple Rain's got a lot of good things about it. It's not the movie I bring Gloria Steinem to see on a date. I, I this this actually <laughs> could help her. Purple hey, Rain might be a little too edgy, a little too movie. edgy. Yeah, just yeah. But women throw it in dumpsters. I was a kid, like even I oh, feel yeah. weird with this one. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of great music, and and I just I just don't see how you can do Purple Rain without Prince. That's just me. But um, you know, put the music on Broadway. It's groovy. You know, yeah. But darling, Nikki is going to have a whole level of <laughs> choreography that I expect to be over. <laughs> well, Keith, you saw this fellow. You saw this fellow playing Michael Jackson on Broadway. I mean, did it make you yes. miss the real Michael Jackson, or did it work as a as a piece of theater? It works as a piece of theater, and it's. It's you know it gives everybody what exactly what they want entertainment wise like you everybody still loves the music everybody knows a little bit about the story but then you know this the extra that they give you with this dance where this you know these kids that are playing that role are like sometimes it, it seems like they're just channeling Michael Jackson you know what I mean like yeah. they're some of them are the, like the guy who won Miles Frost he was channeling Michael Jackson he wasn't imitating he was channeling and so I get that yeah you know what I mean so like when you see that kind of energy you know you will forget about you know what was going on in Neverland or something you know what I mean like you, you look past all of that so I'm many saying. jokes about channeling Michael Jackson that I have not told in the last 15 <laughs> seconds Keith oh my therapist is going to be so proud of me when I talk about this Real quick Go here, John. Yeah, uh, Dave. This, this will have been the 99th birthday for Lee Van Cleef. What is your favorite role from him? Ooh, man, you didn't. Oh, wow. I think Lee Van Cleef is such a, a good actor, like underrated, like great, great bad guy. Um, best role or his best role or best movie? Either. Huh. I mean, good, the bad and the ugly. You know, I go for a lesser-known spaghetti western. I love him in his role as Sabata. Sabata? I don't think I've ever seen that one. Oh, yeah. He plays this uh, guy. Uh, the first movie, uh, it's a lot like um, Fistful of Dollars playing off uh, two sides of Warren Gang. Second movie, the trilogy, I don't know why he was unavailable. <laughs> they have Yul Brenner playing the character. Oh, right. Sabata, and 1969. Okay, yeah. 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 And for some reason, you know, it just doesn't work with Yul Brenner. He has too much of a baby face, you know? It, <laughs> no one's ever said that about Yul Brenner before. <laughs> um, it just, just looks too trustworthy, you know? But wait a minute. But, Lee Van, but Lee, Van, Lee Van Cleef did the return of Sabata. Lee Van Cleef did the return of Sabata. I just want to get that clear here, right? Yes, he did the return of Sabata. And, you know, it works with him. He, he looks untrustworthy, you know? 
<laughs> well, Lee Van Cleef, here's the thing. Lee Van Cleef is in both High Noon and John Carpenter's Escape from New York. And that's pretty fucking <laughs> hip to me. Yep. And, uh, what was it, Master Ninja. Master Ninja? No, now you've, now you've topped me. I didn't know that. I knew he was in the octagon <laughs> oh, with Chuck yeah. Norris. <laughs> yeah, the Master, you know, the series that they did, well, they wow, man. made it this like is a, TV movies. This is... For, uh, well, the Mystery Science Theater. With Timothy Van Patten. I, I just, I wish, yeah. I wish Mitch from Kent State was alive to hear me doing this conversation because I never thought I'd be talking about fucking Lee Van Cleef in 2024, but we're doing it right now. Yeah, <laughs> ask Frank about sometime. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, no, Frank can talk about Lee Van Cleef. Are you kidding me? Frank, God, if it, he was a man who shot Liberty Valance, which I didn't even know. That's like the second best Western of all time. Now I got to watch that again. All right. Happy birthday right, to the late great Lee Van Cleef. Right on. That's the hippest call we're going to get all day. 866-997-4748. Let's go to... I mean, why am I troubled by this Purple Rain on Broadway? This should be good, Keith, right? You're troubled by it because, of of course, you're uh, a prince devotee. So the idea, like you said, that he's not going to be involved or have anything to say about it. It, you know, it, it depends upon how they try to tell the story. Because, I mean, it's like true. you said, the story itself is very problematic in terms of, you know, misogyny well, and like, you know, the, the details of, of it are. You, I think you can easily yeah. you could easily cut the movie and cut a lot of that stuff out. You, well, I mean, OK, but then how will that play on stage? Yeah, I don't know. You know, there's other and, ways of again, there's other ways of showing a guy's a bad guy than throwing a woman in a dumpster. But I, I see what you're saying. The but, good news is they're know, they're not making a Broadway musical of Under the Cherry Moon. That's the good news. Keith. <laughs> We're all safe from that happening. <laughs> but you know what? The good thing is, in the end, the way I also look at it is that's going to be a whole lot of people getting some work on Broadway. So, Amen. whatever it Amen. is. Bring it. You know, if if it sells, it sells. If it doesn't sell, oh no, it no, no. Sell. Let me tell you. I'm often against this whole, I'm all, I'm so often against this business of, of creating musicals out of movies, mm-hmm. but, uh, I'm going to go see Purple Rain as soon as it opens. I don't care. Oh, I mean, hell yeah, that. I'll go. I'm just saying, you Yeah. Know. but do let's we, go to our friend, do uh, we, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Let's go to our, uh, our friend Pit Doc in Ohio. Doctor, happy new year to you. How are you, sir? Good evening, John. Good evening, Keith and everything like that. Uh, oh, I only got one thing everything to talk like about that. and I, I, I haven't been listening for the last hour and a half, but, uh. But uh, I'm not sure if you mentioned this or not, but Brian McConaughey died today. And oh, I, I swear know. to God, he, he, is the, he is the forebringer of all modern comedy since the 70s because he wrote for National Lampoon. He, he wrote and produced the uh, National Lampoon Radio Hour, wrote for Saturday Night right. Live, wrote for SCTV. SCTV, too. Seven Woody Allen movies. That's right. He but was. He, he was in Caddyshack, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in Caddyshack. He was in a couple. He was in Bob and uh, uh, Bill, not Bob and Ted, the uh, Dave and, uh, Bill and Ted. Dave McKenzie, the Kenzie brothers and everything oh, like okay. that. He was in that yeah. too. Uh, mm-hmm. but Strange Brew. He, he, Strange Brew. He wrote, Strange Brew, yeah. He wrote some of the funniest episodes of the National Lampoon Radio Show Hour that you will ever hear. He wrote the California show, or a part of it anyway, California show, the Canadian show, and the death penalty show, which are wow. classics to listen to even... Forty fucking years later, they're fantastic. Wow. Okay, so, I've got I'm my sorry. my comedy yeah. listening list ready for the week. Then uh, Dave yeah. Thomas actually actually did a beautiful uh, a beautiful tweet in his honor, and uh, so did Frank Conniff as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a fantastic writer, and like I said, a lot of what my, we we know from National Lampoon became Saturday Night Live, and from then on, it went up from there. And he's a good part of the reason why it's that way. Take it easy, John. He Bye, made- Keith. 
Thank you. He famously made a fake magazine called Guns and Sandwiches. It was a merger between a failing gun magazine and a trade magazine for the sandwich industry. And he actually put it out as a parody. Oh, my God. Thank you, Pit Doc. Wow. I'm not ready for this, Keith. I'm still... I'm still handling all my obituaries from 2023. They oh were, my they, God. We were losing people right up to the end. We, we yeah, Tommy Smothers man. right at the end there. Yep. Oof. Uh, let me go, Maurice, if I may. Maurice Hines, you know, half of the... the Maurice Hines died? When did, more, when did Maurice Hines die? Last week. You just told me about Bobby Rippers last week. Now you're telling me this. Uh, yeah. I think Maurice I have to avoid Hines. you, Keith. Oh, wow. That's really sad. <laughs> I'm bringing you old, old black gay dead people. <laughs> well... Maurice, was Maurice Hines in the choir? Maurice wasn't. Was he in the choir? I I don't think he was openly in the choir. Was my Gregory? Guess. I mean, was was Gregory? No, Gregory in this? no. I don't think so. Yeah. No, I, oh. I, it's just I, I interviewed Maurice several years ago for a ah. show that he was producing, and you know when we were standing there talking, you know, is you, you know we were talking like old black girls do, if you know what I'm saying. It just <laughs> it felt it felt very much that way. But again, wow. you have to also remember he was somebody that was raised around some of the most fabulous divas like Ella yeah. Fitzgerald, uh, uh, Aretha, oh, yeah. Mar- Diana Maurice Hines confirmed gay. His dad was putting him on stage when he was, he was proudly gay. gay. I didn't even know. Thank you. Well, yeah. I mean, I just like yeah, I said, I'm, I'm not, I he, trust he Keith's gaydar more than anything. I mean, he didn't try to make out with me, so it wasn't like he was into me. But I'm just saying, you know. So he's gay with like bad said, taste, is what you're saying. I don't know. I don't know. But I, like I said, you know, I one one recognizes one, if you know what I'm saying. That's why I, you know, but I never ever press. I dream that of being hip enough to giggle like little black schoolgirls, as you say. I dream, <laughs> dream of it, dream of it. I'll never be that hip. You know, Let me go to I the never phones. Pushed. <laughs> I'm just gonna say, I know I didn't. I never pushed. The, no, if you go you're back, all about you can find Keith. you can find the interview. We know it's very you're all about together. game. You're the most relaxed yeah. guy in the room. You're the you're the player. Come on now, I, you're never going to push. Keith doesn't try too hard. Keith oh, makes it look easy. No, Keith's going to stand there and make you work. Brian in Oregon, exactly. thank you for calling back. That's it. Well, <laughs> yeah, welcome, Brian. Hey, you guys. Uh, hey. Sorry, uh, sorry about your uh, the loss there. It, I. Uh, I'm the most ignoramus uh, a cultural person between all these movies you guys are talking about. Uh, oh, and uh, and our movies aren't uh, that arcane. What, are we, what, what we're, our movies aren't that arcane? No, Keith no, was I talking about Indiana Jones. I haven't seen okay, them. okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, well. I think part of it's because you know I've never been able to read the sub the credits to see who the hell the people are. I understand. Ooh. I understand. But um, anyway, Brian is Brian is Brian is legally blind and still he's no, no, one I'm of the totally hippest guys. Blind. I'm totally blind. blind. I didn't know that. Well, that's yeah. Uh, 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 it's been slow. Pro- Anyways, it's a slow process. The the uh, genetic uh, eye disease, retinitis pigmentosa. Ryan, Ryan so much you respect me, for you. You told me you were legal. <laughs> I'm I, I swear, told you he was barely legal. legal. Barely legal. It was a completely I'm, different I'm conversation. Not, barely I'm legally blind. Illegal. I'm illegally blind. <laughs> but the uh, anyways, I. I I'm going to call you undocumentedly blind to be more sensitive, okay? Yeah, and I have no papers. <laughs> God, what is on your mind, sir? They, they, they think I'm uh, all right until I walk into a post. Um, <laughs> I do that all the time, and I don't have the excuse. <laughs> but anyways, this whole stuff with Trump and, and all these trials is just amazing to me. In my mind, I think the January 6th and the 
and the top secret document stuff, I think they're equally uh, important in terms of national kind of balance of getting back to the top secrets and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, did you hear that where the Senate Intelligence Committee had to go actually to the CIA to view some of these documents? Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Just, and it's strange it's just, that the, I think it's strange that that was ever that we were told that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, it's so yeah. weird to even let us know that happened. <laughs> yeah. I don't even want to know anything about all that stuff. I'd rather just uh, sit around and uh, throw rocks or something. But um, <laughs> uh, cares about I don't have any desire to know any of that top secret BS. Um, but anyways. And, what, what's going to uh, happen with the what, what's going to happen with these trials, Brian? I mean, like I uh, I, well, I, th- I, I don't think, think he can delay a verdict forever. I don't think he can delay nine verdicts or seven verdicts until after Christmas or after so, uh, November fifth. Uh, yeah, I don't think so, and I I think um, uh, well, I think he'll be. Uh, <laughs> I would hope to hell he could be convicted in, in uh, all of them, but uh, I think that the January sixth should be uh, a, a lock for. Uh, a W, so to speak, and um, yeah. Fonnie Willis. And, mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about Fonnie Willis and what she's... Jeffrey Clark, I was thinking about that, and if Trump wins, he wants to appoint that guy, I think, as the uh, attorney general. Mm-hmm. No, he doesn't. He wanted, to, but he wanted to in 2020. He won't try that again. Okay. I, <laughs> like, oh, that's good. I was worried. I said, God, they ought to decept carve out that case and no that these people are all going to flip like nadia Comaneci by the end trump is cooked <laughs> in atlanta yeah. he is cooked in georgia he is cooked yeah. there they are all going to rat him out they're all mm-hmm. his own lawyers are already ratting him out it's listen I, I keep telling everyone i know you're scared that joe biden's old blah, blah, blah. it's going to be a really good year watching donald trump face accountability for the first time in his life Enjoy it. Oh, Lord. It's going to be too much fun, and I, I don't know that he's got enough uh, orange spray to uh, get him through, through uh, uh, all these trials. I know. I know. He might have to literally, he literally might have to lose weight, so there's less of him to, to spray tan in the morning. To spray. I hope he doesn't spray his ass orange, huh? Even better, he has to start using, like, the low-end budget spray tan. Yeah. <laughs> Letitia's trying to take all of his money. He's just going to be using foundation every day. He's just going to be using foundation. Blend, bitch! Blend! Blend your foundation! (laughs) (laughs) I just hope he doesn't grab a can of Rust-Oleum instead. Oh, my uh, God. Brian, thank you very much for calling back. It's good to hear from you. Take care. That was 866-997-4748. Beachside Bill, really quick from Florida. You're on with Keith. Hey, Hey, John. Hey, hey Keith. Hello. Happy New Year. How's it going? Hope all's hey. well. Hi, hi. Hey, how are you? Well, Happy New Year. I'm doing doing well. Doing well. I'll get to blood in a second. Quickly, you talk about Governor <laughs> Deadweight earlier, my governor here. They opened the Florida legislative session today, and he spoke, yeah. and then the same old jibber-jabber bullshit he was t- always talking about. But they what they voted on today was uh, uh, the Republicans to open uh, be the Florida twenty seventh uh, state to open uh, for a constitutional convention. They want to open mm. one up. It's going to go to the Senate. So you know they want to do this. Uh, you know they need what thirty four states to open up a constitutional convention or thirty. How many? I forget. I forget. The I believe so. But you know what? I got to tell you something. I I, I don't want to say that I could have respected Donald Trump, but I I think Keith, I could have respected Donald Trump if he'd gone to Florida and began speaking in the room next to the Florida legislature 
so all the Republicans would leave Ron DeSantis' speech to go see Trump, then I could respect it. If he had done that, just to humiliate DeSantis, I'd go to bed respecting Trump a little bit more tonight. I really would. I know. It's so hey, shady. Quickly, John. DeSantis is losing polls among That's his own really children true. to Donald Trump at this point. As to who's the best dad. Go ahead. He sits up like a dead fucking weight. I, I just quickly get the blood. I want to thank you for giving me a shout out last night, John. You you, you opened up with. Uh, I heard the replay. Uh, on, the Red Cross uh, is, they, they, has said that people are blood. people yeah. are not donating blood. People are not donating blood, and it's awful because Keith and I have been smacking fascists all year. I thought there was enough blood out there being spilled, but no, <laughs> we need more. And this yeah. is nationwide. And and I I cited Bill here because mm-hmm. Bill Keith has given a hundred and one hundred and fifty. 150 gallons 50, of blood? Yep, 150 gallons. I'm over it now. Yeah, this, yeah, I'm already over it. 150 gallons, 37 years I've been, I've been donating oh. blood. Wow. Yeah, and, that's... And, wow. and so... And so the thing is, the media has been ignoring me around here. That fuck the media around here, and fuck you know they just they just ignore blood donors. But the thing is, you ever wonder why January's a dry out month? Well, you get all these amateurs who don't drink all year, and then they go end up drinking during the holidays, and they get sick, and they wonder how the fuck they you know. So they they oh, they, yeah. they they fly these people to try to get them to go donate blood. But oh. the sad thing is, only three you know only three percent of the eligible population donates. You know, and that's a sad thing. But I remember. Know. Those of us who donate, remember David Crosby. I always throw him in because David Crosby from a liver donor. But I'm saying donors are needed, and and you know January. That's why I you know January's National Blood Donor Month. But yeah, Dave, David David was not, not a blood donor, by the way. Just so folks don't. David Crosby not a blood donor. David's blood was used to burn through metal by the army. They could actually, his, his, his blood could do that like acid. So that's what that was for. Uh, listen, everybody donate blood because if you don't, Beachside Bill is going to give up and turn next year to sperm donation. And let me tell you, 150 yeah. gallons is a whole different ball of wax in that community. So please give blood, people. While Bill can still walk, give blood. Thank you, sir. One, I can't give be, blood. Uh, you can't? Why not? I'm a gay man. So but I band, thought they baby. changed that. No, I thought the band was done. Oh, Keith, I'm not of so sure about that. Oh. There's a lot of rules. Oh, you're right. I'm looking at it now. It says gay men may give blood, but not Keith Price. I'm so sorry, Keith. I had no idea. <laughs> they, they spelled your name right, though. <laughs> <laughs>